I'm Darren Garrahy, and you're listening to The Laughs of Your Life, the podcast where I talk to influential people about laughter. From their first memories of laughter, to no laughing matter moments, to a time where they felt laughed at. And if Anto had the best team, they'd give me to that team. No. Yeah, I was like, I was like, you know the way a jockey, they put weights in the saddle. <laughs> yeah. I was like the weights <laughs> in the saddle of the other team. And they'd say, Joe, because I knew, I'd, uh, they knew, James knew if he put me on the other team, there was a fair chance I'd score an own goal. <laughs> <laughs> Veteran broadcaster Joe Duffy is my guest this week. He talks to me about being a dad to triplets, finding out he had once lost his job while reading the paper and how he'll always encourage those who are just starting out. From big wins to big laughs, this season of the Laughs of Your Life podcast is brought to you by TK Maxx. And did you know that there's more to TK Maxx's big brand finds than meets the eye? From oh-so-cozy organic cotton PJs to fabulous vases made from recycled glass, there's win-win finds for all in-store now. I think it goes without saying that the words organic and recycled are music to the ears and make shopping all the more enjoyable. Finding a product that does good and makes you feel good too. I'm a complete sucker for fresh pyjamas, particularly when a new season is around the bend and I want to be that little bit cosier in bed. So if you're in the same boat, pop into your local TK Maxx store now to find a fantastic range of organic cotton PJs so you can look forward to having dreamy sleeps just like me. And now for my chat with Joe Duffy. I hope you enjoy. Joe Duffy, you are extremely welcome to the laughs of your life. And I'm extremely nervous about being here, but I'm here. Why are you nervous? Because my daughter insisted I do this. And she also insisted I prepare for it. Yeah, she, she loves it. And um, she's the one that said to me, I must do it if I, if I was ever asked. So you remember, I was on my hands and knees in the radio centre and I begged you last week. Do you remember you couldn't get me off your leg? You were was, kicking me. Yeah, it was awkward. Remember how the lads and everything was embarrassing. No, Two lads from the dragon. Yeah. I said, please, please let me do it. No. Please let me do it. I'll get access to my bathroom at home again if you do <laughs> My daughter will let me in. Yeah. I know, yeah, it was awkward with the social distancing and stuff. But yeah. look, I just said I would I would do it. We'll see how it sounds. Yeah, yeah. And we might put it out. Yeah, it's up to yourself. <laughs> Wouldn't be the first uh, either recording TV or broadcast me that's ended up on the cutting room floor. Actually, I didn't even get into the cutting room a lot of it. But here we are. But okay. there we are and here we are. Are you ready to, yeah, to talk yeah, about the last yeah, of your life? Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. okay. Joe Duffy, your first memory of laughter. My first memory of laughter is I was in school in Ballyfermot. I think I think it was in fifth class. So I was eight or nine. And it was a bit of a cruel laughter. I know that comes up later on. But we had a wonderful, wonderful teacher called Mr. Long. Okay. Mm. And he was very short. He was a very small man. Now, that's known as nominative determinism, where your name has something to do with. He's Mr. Long. He's very short. If I remember I became a preparation officer, one of the fellas I who was a fraudster I worked at was Christopher Cross. Chris Cross. Stop. Okay. Yes. The man in charge of the Irish Board Association is called Nile Hatch. <laughs> the guard in charge of traffic was called Noel Slow. What? Yeah, these are all true. It's called nominative determinism. Does your name actually determine what you might do in life? Do you think you same bolt? You Maybe. Should, yeah, yeah, you Bold. should. Yeah, you have it there. You're you know on it, I mean? you see? Absolutely. Live up to your name, son. Go, go, go. You're a boat. So that's, that's, so Mr. Long. Yeah. I loved him dearly. Yeah. He said I was the most curious boy in the class. Really? Now, I now know what he meant was odd, as in curious. I thought he meant curiosity, as in questioning. Yeah. But now he meant I was not by. And what he used to do every Friday, I loved him. He'd draw out the grid for a crossword on the blackboard. Yeah. Okay. He'd draw it out, you know, and then he'd put in the black, little black squares and one across, three down. And then we'd all have to copy it from the blackboard. Okay. And then do the crossword. Right. And you won truppence, three pence, which is one, about one cent in the in the new money and I love anyway so he had a very bockety chair and he had a very low chair because he used Mr. Long who was very short <laughs> and we noticed one day that the leg of the chair it was a rickety wooden chair was, was held together with twine okay right so during the lunch break myself and Paddy Flynn hope you're listening Paddy myself and Paddy Flynn went up and we we didn't cut it fully we frayed the 
bit of time with our the thing from our compass box, our geometry box. And we were waiting for Mr. Lang to come in. <laughs> and he sat on the chair. And he had a short fall as it happened because he was right. And he, the chair <laughs> collapsed underneath. It, <laughs> and the whole class was enough. There was 52 in our class. Stop. In Ballyfermot. Yeah, our, our school was so rough. We had our own in house coroner. It was really, really. You're Joe. <laughs> <laughs> no, there, was 50, there was 52, 52 <laughs> in our class. How could you control the class? Oh, like that? do, oh, so that's it was in torture. hysterics and he was really annoyed. Silver, gorgeous, silver haired, lovely. Uh, facial uh, tanned face and um, I remember he was really upset but the whole the class was in hysterics as you can imagine and um, I just thought it was a laugh and I laughed for about three nanoseconds and then said oh, that was cruel to do that in your favourite teacher <laughs> he's passed on now he's passed on so, so he said you were a curious boy but yeah. for, as in for him it was like... Yeah, I, I took it as he meant. You, you, yeah, yeah, you're yeah. always asking stuff or asking questions. So but do you think the, he was the, right? Like, No, the lads in my class think it's because I was odd. I, yeah, yeah. I didn't play football, didn't play sport. Couldn't, couldn't, couldn't. Why? That's brutal at them. Absolutely brutal. Like one of the things is one of your questions we ever laughed at. Yeah. I'm, I'm asking the question. You want to go home, Darren? I'll do the interview myself. <laughs> I'll come to that in a second. I want to know no, what you, know, you were... What were you like in school? What were you good at? What did you enjoy? I was good at studying. Were you? Yeah. Always? Absolutely good. I liked studying. I liked learning. I used to go... Then I moved into the second level school in Ballyfermot, and which in itself... I know people find that hard to believe my own kids do. When I was 11, 12, yeah. the prospect of me, the second eldest, going on to second level, not third level, mm. second level, go from sixth class to anywhere, was very, very... Very slim, mm. very slim, and you had to. We, we had to try and get a scholarship to go to a second level school. They they were fee paying. Mm. The one in Ballyfermot was two guineas a year or something. And I remember we did the exam. You go down and do a scholarship exam on a Saturday morning in that second level school, and they determine whether they will give you the free fees or not. Mm. Okay, and then if you couldn't get the free fee, if you couldn't, if you didn't win that, you had to find the money, which would have been extraordinarily difficult. Like we were very poor. So you, but you did well. Yeah, like we were so poor, we used to get food parcels from a family in Limerick. What was her name, Shane? What was her name? Oh, the McCourts. The McCourts used to send us food parcels. Eh? What are you messing? <laughs> no, the, 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 prospect, the prospect of us, of us, um, going me on. going out. And then during that summer, Dunno O'Malley, to his eternal died a young man, the Minister of Education, he just announced, which I loved this, he just announced one Saturday night. By the way, from September, no fees at second level, full stop. Mm. and that was a government and he didn't even tell the government and then the government of course couldn't back down wouldn't you make an announcement like that you can't back down so I got into second level and were you delighted yeah and I, I that was St John's College in Ballyfermot lovely school I did five years there and I, I liked it a lot and I studied a lot and um, I used to the school to finish at four o'clock okay mm. I'd uh, stay in till six o'clock uh, six o'clock I'd walk the 20 minutes home mm. have me tea had your tea and all that. You'd already gone home at lunchtime for your beans, sausages and potatoes, depending on what day it was. And um, I'd go home at six o'clock for tea and whatever, sandwich or something. I'd be back down before seven hmm. and I'd finish studying at half nine, ten o'clock in a classroom down there. And then I'd go home. I kept doing that, doing that, doing that. It was a routine I got into. And were there many others like you or were you particularly devoted? No, there, was, there, was a, there was a fair few. Barry Cullen was in the class, Brendan Bartley. They're good lads. They, they, um, they, they yeah, there was, there was a good ethic in the school. Now, it was a big sporting school, Ga, and they played rugby, believe it or not. And um, some of the teachers were excellent, absolutely excellent and encouraging. But they never, they never, ever, ever, Darren, spoke to us about third level education. It was never mentioned. We used to get leaflets, like we were in fifth year, sixth year doing your country. They used to give us leaflets about ANCO courses and bank clerks. But there wasn't one single leaflet about going on to third. It just wasn't, just wasn't on the agenda. It just wasn't on the agenda. And I remember getting my leave and saying results, walked out that day and walked straight into a job in, as a, basically a messenger boy in an advertising agency. Though I'd already been working from age of 13 as a lift boy in the Metropole, which is where Penny's is now in O'Connell Street. And that was a lift that you had to land level to the floor. You were on the bridge of a ship. If you didn't land level to the floor, you'd have to say to your passenger's mind to step. <laughs> and if your manager, Mr. Murphy, heard you, he'd be listening up the lift shaft. <laughs> and if you heard you saying mind to step, when you got back down, oh, was there a problem landing there, oh Joe? God. You think I was an astronaut? <laughs> 
Okay, we'll, we'll come back to the chat about third level. Mm. In the meantime, the first time you felt laughed at, Joe Duffy. Was, and this is to do with sport again. I was so bad. My brothers were brilliant. James, my oldest brother, was a good ball player. Peter's a very good ball player. Brandon, even my sister, Pauline, was better than me. And um, soccer or whatever he used to play in those days. I remember there's a green in front of our house called St. Mary Duke Club and we'd all gather there, the whole road, you mm. know. And there'd be fellas, girls. You'd be 11, 12. There'd be the dog next door, Ringo. And then you'd be... And, and, and Anto Doyle, who was a great ball player who introduced me to the Beatles and James Duffy my brother they'd be the two captains so they, they get you tossed to see who picks so the best player goes first you know Peter Duffy you're on Anto's team Joe Carroll you're on James's team and then the, and I'd be, the, the crowd left unpicked would be getting smaller and smaller and it'd be me Tina Carroll Deirdre Carroll Cathy McGowan and Ringo the dog okay <laughs> left on a bit of string I had him on a bit of string bit of twine. Uh, Tina Picked. Deirdre picked. Katya McGowan picked. And then Anto said, Well, that's the, we, we've 11 on each side. Right? And I'm standing there with Ringo. And I turn around, <laughs> I turn around to walk away. You know, like, I know, it's very sad. And I'm pulling Ringo. And he said, ah, Joe, come back. Hang on, hang on. Ringo is picked. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. I was, and you know, they used to, they, you know how they, they used to trade me. Talk about child trafficking. Right? They used to trade me at the end. That James and Anto would have a fight about who had the best team, right? Yeah. And if Anto had the best team, they'd give me to that team. No. Yeah, I was like, I was like, you know the way a jockey they put weights in the saddle. <laughs> yeah. I was like the weights in the saddle of the other team, and they say, Joe, because I knew I, uh, they knew James knew if he put me on the other team, there was a fair chance I score an own goal. <laughs> So I was dreadful. I was dreadful. And Aww. I was, oh, God, I used to go, we used to go on a summer camp down to Cardiff Sound House with the Vincent de Paul and they had a high, a little high jump. Now talk about high jump. And you had to participate. <laughs> oh, God. Good God. And did you mind that you were bad or did you kind of make peace with it? No, it was, it was a bit hard. I think, I don't know whether I was, I was bad as in skill, but I think it was bad in terms of being frightened of the ball. I must have got hit by a ball when I was a child or something. Did you, did you get along well with your siblings? Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah or was, we were, were there brawls? There was, there was no, no. There was, there was brawls in the house yeah. between my siblings. Yeah, I remember one day. Now this, this, this was not deliberate. But I remember one day, my brother, who's now passed on, Aiden, who was killed. It's his anniversary yesterday, actually. Um, he killed in a car crash when he was twenty-five. But um, Brendan and P- and Aiden would have been very close, but they'd be fighting over stupid stuff at times mm. and one day Brendan they must have been 10 or 11 Brendan picked up this little little uh, ornamental umbrella that was in the house and he went he meant to throw it in Aiden but it lodged in the side of his head right it's it lodged it lodged like the, the, there at your temple and what? the umbrella was kind of hanging up and down so I removed the umbrella <laughs> and, and ran up to Boylan's sweet shop to get Mr Boylan to ring an ambulance Jesus <laughs> but he was garbage. fine he was fine 800 stitches later and 16 <laughs> rounds of cosmetics. No, he was absolutely fine. He wasn't even kept in hospital. <laughs> okay, Joe. The moment when, if you didn't laugh, you'd cry. Can you recall that moment in your life? Well, there are many times. Have you not listened to Liveline? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I was, I, I'm obsessed with fire engines. You know, you, you people, a lot of people know this. I don't so know why. Cute. I'm obsessed with fire engines. No matter if I'm going to visit a foreign country, which is a long distance, the first thing I do is look up the fire service in the city to see, see do they have a turntable ladder if I needed rescuing. I just love them. And the state of a fire service, hang on, dear, serious point, oh, serious right. section of programme coming Sorry, up. Sorry, right. Uh, spoiler alert, spoiler alert. Um, if you want to know if your children are going to be safe or they're going trekking around the world, check the fire service. Safest place in the world, Japan. Incredible fire service. Really? Monumental fire service. Um, and then you go to India. Yeah. I was in Mumbai. And, uh, three battered old uh, fire trucks from the 1950s. Incredible. But anyway, that's, I'm obsessed with fire engines. Right. So anyway, there's a place near my... I always... When the kids were young, I always took... I always used them as an excuse to visit fire station. I'd say, knock on the door and I'd say, uh, the kids would love to see the fire. <laughs> what? What? We want to go home. Barney's on the telly. Shut up. And um, I said, get in there, get in there. And one of you say, any chance of a jant? Any chance of a jant? 
So I loved, I've, I think I've been to most of our stations. Anyway, I discovered there's a place in Marino called the Marina Institute, which is Dublin Fire Brigade Training Centre. It's beside the beautiful casino in Marino. Mm. Okay. And I used to go up there. I knew a few of the lads there just by going. To, they had all these spare fire trucks and the new fire trucks that go there before they were sent out. So I used to go up there every Sunday and they'd be all out parked. And you'd, you'd one of the lads would be there and he'd let you climb in and play with them. And, you know, it was just, yeah. just, and I loved them and took loads of photographs. Anyway, one Sunday I go up, mm. true story, I go up and all the fire engines are now in a compound. Right. A gated compound with three or four prefabs with funny looking contraptions on the roof. But there were, I didn't see that. So I go up to the gate, okay, with yeah. the kids. Yeah. Three kids with me. <laughs> and um, the security fella comes out. And he says, he was foreign. And he said, hello? I said, yeah, um, have you any new ones in? And he looked at me. He said, yeah, there's a few. Um, I said, can we go in and play with them? Right? And he said, what? I said, like, they, they let us in every week. We play with them. We get up on them. He lets the kids jump up and down after them and all that carry on. And he said, no, I don't, don't think that's possible. And I said, why not? He said, you know, no, this is now the city morgue. <laughs> it had moved the contraptions on the contraptions on the roof were air conditioning to keep he thought he thought I was saying can I bring my kids in to play with the corpses <laughs> through his God and we jump up on them we're, we're allowed in every Sunday and we're allowed to jump up up and down off them right can we play can we play with them oh my god true gosh. story so I traumatised the poor man I, I gave out to the kids I said why just drag me up here <laughs> I could have been at home washing the car like more down in the Pebble Beach for a pint on a Sunday and they're like, no, why are you? I said, I said man, they're obsessed with fire engines. I said, they're obsessed. That's true. True story. What What was it like being a dad of three all of a sudden? But no different. No choice. Yeah, you don't know any no different. No choice. No, you don't know any different. You don't know any different. Was it manic though? It was manic, yeah. You, you realise you only have two hands. You know what I mean? And But we got lots of tips and then we had incredible support. My wife June, her mother... Uh, Maureen, God rest her, Mona Summers, uh, Anne Conroy, her husband. They were just, every, we, everyone rode. And we had one simple, uh, one simple uh, routine. We tie, we, we bought diaries, you know, the annual kind of Easton's diary, day yeah. by day diary. Yeah. Put a big hole in them, tied them to their cot. Okay. What? Tied them to, not the children, no, the I diaries. No, I know, yeah, the diaries. Right. <laughs> yeah. The children were already strapped down in the cot. <laughs> And you tie you tie the diary to, to to the to the cot. Yeah. So you went in, and it'll be Sean, Ellen, Ronan. And if you if Sean needed changing, and someone came in, someone came in and said, "Can I take the three of them for a walk?" No, you take one of them. We have a single buggy and a double buggy. Double buggy. No triple. <laughs> double buggy. Double buggy. See, it did have an effect on me. Um, there's no um. And then to go up, just write in the book if he needs a feed. Yeah. We had a fridge in the room. We had a sink in the room. Stop. We had a kettle in the room. Just one room. One so you cell. were like a maternity ward. A maternity ward. And someone would go up and say, yeah, I changed Sean's nappy at half 11. I fed him, brought him for a walk, come back. And that's the way we did it. That's the way we did it. And uh, for the first three months, we got in someone at night time. Did you? Yeah. Rita, yeah, great woman. And uh, Jerry Ryan knew her. And uh, she, she arrived at midnight. I, thought, I never saw the woman. <laughs> I still couldn't tell you if it was so. Moira Hindley that came in that night. <laughs> I don't know who it was. She'd knock Stop. on the door. We'd be in bed trying to get to be asleep and she'd get, knock on the door. Yeah. I'm here, grand. In she goes. Yeah, she goes. Had her armchair. She knew. Never never knocked on our door. Five to eight in the morning. I'm gone. And yeah. so how busy would it be for her throughout the night? You don't know? Not, it would depend. depend. Yeah. If the lads had been in coppers or whatever, they'd be, they'd be in a state <laughs> when they came back. No, it was, no, it was good. It was just, and we had that for three months. And, and at what point did you find out that you were having triplets? About four days after they were born. <laughs> <laughs> no. No, when did you actually find about, out? And a scan about. Is it the 20 week scan or one of those? I don't know. Yeah, I think so, yeah. So you did know, you you could prepare. But like, yeah. what was oh, that we shock? Did, we had that room. But like, what was the shock? Like? It was almost a novelty, wasn't it? Oh my God. It's almost a novelty. Anyway. Well, they're all, they've all left the penal colony in Clontarf. They all fled. They all escaped. But they all come back, don't they? Oh, they do. For, with, with food. Yeah. Uh, money. Washing. Laundry. <laughs> Wallpapering. Time <laughs> to be done. Okay, Joe. Your no laughing matter moment in life. A time where there was absolutely no room for laughter. Well, there's obviously there are moments on Liveline. 
you know, there are moments on Liveline, like there have been some, some incredible moments on Liveline. Um, I, I think one of the, one of the most bizarre things ever, we had a woman phoned us from America. Mm. And with the internet, we've now lots of listeners across the world. And she phoned in and she said, a friend of mine called Margaret Bullen, Maggie Bullen, has just been buried in Glasnevin in a communal grave. Right? And I grew up at Maggie Bullen. And both of us were in the mother and baby home in Shaw McDermott Street. Okay? And I want Maggie Bullen in her own grave. Okay? Hmm. She was a lovely woman. She's 54. She had, she fell, what's the phrase they use in the 50s? She fell pregnant, ended up in the mother and baby home, and then was pregnant again twice in the mother and baby home. Hello? Mm-hmm. Under the care of the, the religious. And um, she said she's buried in a communal, it's a communal grave that's like two car park spaces, green, and then at the head of the, it's, it's still there. There was a grave like just inside to the left and down. And a headstone with all the names, no date of birth, no nothing, just the names of the people who were interred there. Okay. You don't know where they are in the, and now it's remains, but we, I, I'm interested in uh, remembering people. And, um, I said, God, we must try and get on to the nuns. The nuns, the nuns, as per you, ran and hired a PR company. Do you believe it? They hired a PR. And he issued a statement saying, we don't talk to Liveline. Ridiculous. And uh, then we got this phone call from a woman called Samantha. Hmm. Samantha Long. And Samantha said, Maggie Bullen is my mother. I didn't know she was dead. I did not know she was dead. We've, n- we've not been told. She, she's now three months buried. I did not know my mother was dead. We didn't, we didn't get a phone call from New York, as it happens, Samantha's sister. And she said, I, I, Margaret Bullen is my mother and I didn't know she was dead. Can you believe that? And that was the jaw-dropping moment. So you couldn't, that was just, that says so much, so much. Samantha's just, she's a brilliant campaigner now, by the way. Brilliant campaigner. Uh, and she's done a lot on the mother and baby homes. And how... How do you sit back and deal with those moments or how because do you take par- them in? Part of it is, dear, it's my job. I know. It is my job. And I was a social worker in a previous life, but I'm not a social worker now. I know. You know, and gay, with a gay we've had this conversation with gay loads of times. He only teared up once. Only te- ever teared up once in all the years he was broadcasting. And there were some harrowing stories on the Gay Born Show. Mm. And um, he teared up once when a woman was talking about her 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 husband was killed in a plane crash. Okay. And you know, Gay was obsessed with plane crashes. Mm. He was the, the Ireland's expert on plane crashes. And um, Gay teared up, but he teared up because he he was nearly killed in a plane crash when he was flying back and forth to England. There was a board strike at the airport, at Dublin airport. But he used to say, it's, it's, if you tear up, if you um, let your emotions take over, you are weakening that other person. They don't want to see you crying. Yeah. They don't want to hear you crying. That's not your job. Your job is to try and help them tell their story if they want to tell their story. And you you tearing up makes them feel, oh, hang on, have I, have I said something wrong or something too? Have I gone too far or whatever? So I try not to. I try not to. And my job, my job is to be Joe Duffy on Liveline and when I finish today's programme to go in and do Liveline again tomorrow to be able to do live line and to try and create an atmosphere where people trust phoning me or phoning the programme, whatever. So that's my job. Yeah. In a, in a, in a, a, a almost that sounds cold clinical No, way. but you're a, no, you're that's a facilitator. My job. Yeah, yeah. You, if I, yeah. If I go home every day and put my head under the uh, electric duvet and uh, it's not working at the moment, it's a fault <laughs> in it. Um, geez, maybe that's deliberate. I put my <laughs> electric duvet on and um, if I climbed under the blankets every day, how would I do tomorrow's programme? No, you couldn't. You know, it's, by the way, it can be very, very hard on the team I have. Remember, they take the initial calls. Yeah. They filter the calls. They decide who goes on of the people who ring in and they can listen to much more harrowing stories than I do. Do you feel your job in social work has helped you? Yeah, well, yeah. I think every, it's, this is a wonderful thing about being, being a broadcaster, Darren. Everything you do in life is of help. Mm. Walking along the street, seeing a fella, as we saw a fella this morning smoking a cigar, massive Cuban cigar <laughs> at 10 o'clock in the morning and start talking to him on the street. Yeah. You now know there's someone in Ireland who does smoke a cigar at 10 o'clock in the morning. I turn you know, my head for it, one second and yes. Joe's there having the chance with this lad. But, but 
So uh, when I was travelling for Gay Bourne around the country, mm. I was a representative on earth. I was the son he never wanted, I think. He, used to, he, used to, <laughs> he never wanted me. But he was, he was like a father to me in many ways. He was brilliant. He was yeah. absolutely, everyone knows how brilliant he was. Um, I was. Every day I was on the road for Gay Bourne and every day you'd pick up something. Driving around Ireland, it went abroad as well. And the same as social work for this job. This job is a dream job mm. for me. I'm a broadcaster. I get to talk to people every day. We know where live, we have a fair idea at half one where live line's going to start. We've no idea. No idea where it's going to end. Do you love that or is it sometimes no, kind of I scary? No, I love that. I love that. I love that. Because you can go down to the studio someday, like the Menopause series recently. Yeah, we go down. Well, that, that call came in at 20 past two. And one of the producers said, that woman is just incredible. She's really, and she came on and man, she started it. Sarah yeah. Jane, she started it for, could have gone on for a month. So you never, I didn't know if you said to me that day a quarter to two, what would you be talking about a quarter, five to three? Yeah. I can never, I can never tell you. But I you love that, the sponsor. I love that. It's, it's, and it's the, like Tommy Tiernan's now made a living out of it. You know what I mean? In a good way, he's brilliant at it. But it's, you don't know who the people are. Yeah. You don't know. And you're speaking to them live. It's not recorded, as you know. There's no delay. Um, and it's, it's, it's a wonderful, it's a privilege that people would somehow trust you mm. to tell you their most... Someone would trust you to ring in and say, that's my mother you're talking about and I didn't know. She, I've just discovered through your programme that my mother... And Samantha had been in touch with Margaret over the years, uh, lots of times, and they were great help to each other. I just discovered my mother is dead through your... But being able to say, I'm going to ring that programme... I know. I'm not going to ring the director general and give out. I'm going to ring Joe Duffy and, and tell the story. That's a privilege. Joe Duffy, the person you always laugh with. Sil Fox. Just old style Dublin comedian. What? Old. Sil, Sil Fox, the y- Dublin comedian. Are you friends? Yeah. Really? One of my best friends, yeah. Really? Yeah. And Sil gave me a great bit of advice when I was starting. What? And... Um, I was doing reports on the Gay Bourne show, so I was getting a little bit well known. And um, <laughs> there's no such thing as fame in Ireland, you know that? Yeah. You know that? Get over yourself. Get over yourself, Bono. <laughs> remember that? Remember that story, Bono? These are true stories. Bono was in the Dockers pub down, which is reopening soon, I see, beside Women Lane on a Friday night. The lads were in the band after. And even the dead, they were massive even then, but their, their dead sound, I know Larry a little bit, their dead sound, but um, Bono was in the, the, the loo. And the fella comes in and says, Bono, what's the story? He said, yeah, there you go. I love, love the Joshua Street, man. He said, Bonnie, wouldn't do us a, st- wouldn't do us a favour, would you? I'm in there. I've just started a new job and it's my 30th birthday. Right? And they, you know, the first week is the worst week in a new job. Yeah. I couldn't find a loo. They gave me, sent me for a skirt and ladder. You know, all the yeah. they, they, they tricks. He said, you wouldn't, when I come out, I'd be out there. When you come out, He'd come over and say, Hey, Paul, old pal, what's the story? You're 30. I'd say, Thanks, Paul. So Paul goes out and sits down, right? Yeah. And Bono comes out and he walks by. And he, second, second glimpse. He goes back, Jesus, Paul, how are you keeping out, Paul? Are you, are you, is, is your, you're 30, so are you? Yeah. And your man said, Now, Bono, listen, will you feck off? I'm with my friends, right? <laughs> I need, I'm entitled to my privacy the same way you are. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, I love Dublin that's that happened and the Hattie Berry story remember the Pierce Brosnan was making a movie up in Evelyn movie of it's about the mother and baby oh yes yeah yeah, yeah. It's a brutal movie brutal anyway he's in Ryan's at Park 8th Street okay after, after filming up in the Phoenix Park or something right okay and he's in you know Ryan's at Park it's wonderful yeah. book. and um, he's sitting there with you know whatever the, the crew whatever and this fellow walks by too there was always, there's always two or three lads together you know just trying. Yeah. this fellow walks by and he says Jesus that's is that you, Pierce? You know, in there. Pierce. In, the, in, in Pierce Brosnan's body. Is that you, Pierce? <laughs> and Pierce said, yeah, I do. Jeez, you're a brutal actor. No. <laughs> he said. No. Yeah. No, Pierce Brosnan laughed. You're a brutal actor. <laughs> I said, what are you doing? I'm making Evelyn on the movie. Okay. You were good. You were, you were good. And some of the James Bond. And he said, you wouldn't mind, uh, Pierce, could I kiss your hand? Right? Hmm. And Pierce looking up at him and says, you just told me I'm a brutal actor. Why do you want to kiss me, hand, you man? Reach out, took Pierce Brosnan. He said, that's the closest I'm ever going to get to Halle Berry's arse. <laughs> that is peak Dublin. <laughs> Love it. Fantastic. Okay, Joe. A time where you had the last laugh. I suppose the last laugh is always an art, you know, in your job. Like when I was demoted and the Gay Bourne show finished. 
and I had been I'd been totally attached to the Gay Bourne show for all of my career up to then 14, 14 years Gay was old now getting that now older you remember Gay Bourne was presenting the late late when he was 27 years of it Gay Bourne was presenting the late late when he was the same age as my children and I think my children are very young. So he'd been working very hard. So he wanted to do three days a week, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then the late, late. So he didn't want to do Monday, Tuesday. Right. So the RT, no choice. RT agreed to that. And um, there, there, was a, there was a tussle to see who'd get the Monday or Tuesday. So I got the Monday and Tuesday, presenting in studio. Mm-hmm. And it didn't work. Okay, it is different. You have to find your voice. You need air, you need air miles and all that kind of thing. And after a year, I was dumped. I read in the paper that, um, I think it was Garrett was taken. Garrett O'Callaghan was taken over, so I had no job. I had no job, and I remember ringing my boss. I was on holidays down in Wexford. I can tell you the phone box that I rang from when I read this thing in the newspaper. Garrett O'Callaghan is it didn't even say taken over from Joe Duffy. Garrett O'Callaghan will do Monday and Tuesday. And I know Garrett, and I'm very fond of Garrett, but um, and he's very good. And um, I remember ringing my boss and say. Like it's, I was on contract at that stage, you mm. know, six month contract. I said, Is there any? But my three kids screaming. Now I got them to scream, but for the effect. <laughs> We're hungry, Dad. We're starving, Dad. Dad. Well, how come all the other children have shoes and clothes on? <laughs> <laughs> now, so I rang. I rang him from the coin box, you know, put, just the old age, I pushed the money in. And I said to him, um, I'm just reading in the... It was a cocky sound. So this was actually the first you'd heard that yeah, you so were... Yeah, that's the very mo- usual. In our, that's, the we, that's the way we get a free RT guide every week. <laughs> so you know if you're working next week. <laughs> <laughs> so... Oh, my God. So um, I rang him and he said, oh, I'm sure... I'm, he said, I'm sure we'll find something for you. Okay? Oh, as a reporter or something. Now, I wasn't trained as a reporter. Charlie Board is a reporter. Yeah. Brilliant one with journalistic nouse. I didn't. I never did a journalism course. Never. Like, if I, with my voice, if I announced that Eamon de Valera was dead, Eamon de Valera wouldn't believe it. He said, That's a joke on radio. <laughs> Who's saying? Who said that? We want to announce the death of Mr. Eamon de Valera. <laughs> de Valera. <laughs> anyway, so I remember then, then I got a phone call from a woman to whom I'd be the two women I'd be eternally grateful for in RTE in, in, back in those years Pat Brennan and Helen Shaw Pat Brennan was they were revamping 5-7 Live it's now drive time and they needed a reporter and it was the Albert Reynolds libel trial in London Pat Brennan rang me and said would you, would you you're assigned to 5-7 Live as it was called will you go to London mm. okay and cover the Albert Reynolds libel trial it was a legendary trial and I don't want you to do a court report. I want you to do the stuff you did with gay, kind of a colour piece. You know, right. you do the, 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 the sting of the day as evidence, but you also do Albert, he, he embraced Kathleen at one. You know what I mean? Yes. You try and get a bit of colour yeah. or the, what the barristers that turn the phrase and birds. And I flew out on the Monday morning. And for six weeks, I flew out every Monday morning and came back on Friday evening. And remember, I have three young kids, yeah. but I had to do it. And I loved doing it. And every single day I used to go to court. I'd arrive at 10 and stay all day. Now, some of the, there was, Miriam Lord was covering it, brilliant. Emily O'Reilly, brilliant. Jodie, all brilliant journalists. Jodie Cochran. Uh, Jonathan Philbin Bowman was there as well. And um, I just did a report every evening at five o'clock for the six weeks. And I won an award for that. Yeah, best boy in best employee of the month or something no but um, and that's that, that, so then I started working on 5-7 Live doing those quirky stuff yeah and then Helen Shaw came to me Mary, I used to fill in over the summer the, the Liveline used to disappear all the programmes used to disappear for three months over the summer mm-hmm. and Helen Shaw said you want to do a summer programme called Summer Journeys or summer, and I'd go, I'd go away. You'd be traveling around Ireland talking to people. Yeah, Julian Vignoles was the main producer and a brilliant producer. And um, I traipsed around Ireland again. And then uh, after after one year, they decided to keep Liveline on. Marion took her holidays and Gay took the holidays, but they asked me to do Liveline. Yes, and I did. I did Liveline in the summer of '98, and it was the, the horror of the Alma bombing. The Oma bombing happened on the Saturday and I remember I decided on the Saturday evening to drive to Oma because I'd be presenting Live Line on Monday. And I just went up to Oma and went to the fire station, went to the places where people were gathering just to get a sense of the horror of it. And then we did two or three weeks on Oma. And incredible, they were incredible programmes. And then Marion moved to Gay, yeah. that, Gay retired fully. 
from the radio. Marion moved to Gay and then I got the live line slot. And I remember one of the first headlines after a few weeks in a newspaper was dive line. Oh, yeah. Right. Of course. The numbers plummet mm. as Marion leaves for the gay born slot. Yeah. OK. Numbers plummet, which is probably true. In the chart. But hadn't Shaw said to me, you see, this is this is the built in armor of great managers. She said, you know, within the first three to four months, Marion's been doing this since God was a child. Yeah. OK. You know, you're completely different. So you're going to get a backlash. Yeah. But she said, when you get the backlash, leave that with me. And I'll I tell you something, she said, when the first backlash comes, I'm going to ignore it. So I remember the headline in the paper, dive line, front page. And um, Helen, I rang Helen, she said, ignore that, keep going, get your voice, find your voice, find your, find your level on live line, do what you want to do. And that's, and so, so a part of that is, uh, that's back to your thing, you know, the last laugh. Yeah. The last laugh would be live line. It's funny because I'm in a bit of a, a time like that now with the brand new breakfast yeah, show yeah. where when the figures come out or whatever happens I'm, I'm yeah. a bit scared because it is the first yeah. two months or so so what would your advice be? Like, uh, if Darren in your case with such a large family just get them all to listen your numbers will double <laughs> your audience will double overnight you get them all to listen please and when your dad's taking out that boat <laughs> he says to all the tourists I'll only bring you back in yeah, if, you tune <laughs> if he's listened to 2FM now. it's a very good programme actually I like it I think the chemistry is working very hard very hard thing to do very hard thing to do. Yeah. Thank you, Joe. Okay. okay. If laughter wasn't the best medicine, Joe Duffy, what would be? Medicine. What? Medicine. Ah, stop it. It is. I, I, no, okay. I meant to read. I meant to painting and reading and all that carry yeah. on. That's very relaxing. Yeah. Just find walking, swimming, just find something that gets you completely out of your zone. But I'm, I, I, I've, a, I've a whole thing about, as people probably know from listening to live, yeah. I have a whole thing about quacks and false visionaries and people recommending anti-vaxxers. I have a whole thing. I do believe in medicine. I do believe in science. And I think if that's happened, if anything has proved that, it's the last 18 months. So medicine is the best medicine. Trust. I do trust the people who make our medicines, mainly because one of my own kids is involved. Yeah. He's a scientist and he's, I'm going to say what he's working on because he won't tell me. I think he's, I think it's a crystal meth factory. <laughs> I can't tell him. Seriously. He was obsessed with Breaking Bad when he was seven. <laughs> no, no, no. He's, <laughs> um, no, I just, I say, I believe in yeah. science. I believe, uh, and, and remember, this is the other thing. Scientists, Anyone that's a doctor or a medic or a firefighter, they're all trained. Yeah. You don't just walk into Tower Street first and say, give us a go, yeah. like I do. Yeah. Like I did get on to the Chief Fire Officer in Dublin Fire Brigade, Michael Keeley, recently. I said, Michael, you know, I'm obsessed. I want to become a fireman. <laughs> I said, if I buy a second-hand fire engine, will you let me answer the false alarms? Please, please. <laughs> no, but I'm saying scientists are educated. They are examined. They are verified. Yeah. You don't just swan through Trinity and do a PhD at your own volition without any internal verification, out, outside of verification. You don't then go to people, doctors, medics. I just, I think we have to get back to that thing. Medicine is the best medicine. Stop all this nonsense about anti-vaccination. I trust them. I, and I trust them with my life mm. because I have to trust them with my life. And that's civilization. That's humanity. There's no big conspiracy out there with the pharma companies or whatever. There's no big conspiracy out there. So medicine's the best medicine. But if you can't, if, and thankfully a lot of people don't need any medicine. But walking, painting, and remember anyone can paint. You can sit, you can be at home listening to this. Know how you paint? You say, I have no paints, I have no brushes. Get a cup of coffee or a cup of tea. Don't put milk into it. Okay, black coffee, let it go cold. Yeah. Get a tissue. Get a tissue, which you have, or a cotton bud, which you put in my hand. Get a tissue and a blank piece of paper and start dabbing the coffee onto the paper and lift up the paper every now and again. Let the coffee roll. Okay? And within two minutes, you'll have a painting. And you say, my God, that is the mountains of morning. And people come and say, how did you do the mountains of morning? You're saying, I didn't. I just poured the coffee over them. <laughs> Okay, are you ready for your quick fire round, Joe? Oh, yeah, God, yeah, this is the one I didn't prep for, okay. Okay, the actor you always laugh at, Joe? Um, that'd be Jack Lemmon. I just love Jack Lemmon. He's a, he was a great... Uh, in, my favourite movie is Some Like It Hot. Mm. Um, of all time. Uh, Jack Lemmon is just brilliant. But Jack Lemmon was a decent man. He was a decent man. He came from very, very little. And he had a great phrase. 
um, when he when he you know he got bigger and bigger and bigger mm. really hard work apparently brilliant to work to he reminded me of gay actually in many ways but he, I just I just love his turn of phrase the odd couple all that stuff just uh, magic 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 the movie dog and uh, the, the apartment oh super but um, he had a great phrase he said well, if you're lucky enough that the elevator takes you to the top floor you know what you have to do get that elevator back down again and get someone else on the elevator yeah. encourage people yeah and you know, be bring them up, be, bring them up, bring them up. And another great story from Maeve Binchy, the great writer in life. I remember I've published three books, okay, mm. available on Amazon. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Shameless plug. Uh, I published three books. Yeah. Okay. And I remember one of my books was coming out. I was chairing something that Maeve was speaking at for charity or whatever. And I remember saying to Maeve, my book's coming out in November. I've just been told your new blockbuster's coming out in November. I won't sell a copy. You know what I mean? They'll all go into bite. Yeah. She said, no, no. She said, life isn't about taking slices from a definitive size cake, right? Yeah. Life is like is like adding stones to a cairn. You know, that whole thing you build up. Yeah. Okay. And think of it this way. My book is coming out. She said, I don't know if it's any good or not, but I have a reputation. I know my publishing company will advertise it from here to Timbuktu in 27 languages. Mm-hmm. I know we'll probably be on the late night talking about it. Okay. But you know what that means? That means people are going to go into bookshops that weekend and they'll see your book. They'll see your book on the shelf. So it's not taking a slice of the cake. It's building, building, building. And that's what I say to people. But do you think social media is going to take away from radio? Do you think podcasts are going to take for... What's a podcast? Do you think podcasts are going to take take away from from, from radio? And I said, no, it's Facebook, Twitter. No, they're all, they all add. Yeah. They all add. It's a cairn. Well, yeah. a community, the, 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 the big thing about being human, apart from caring for each other, is communication. We all want to communicate. Yeah. We all want to know how someone else is getting on, good, bad or different. We all want to know what our kids are talking about, vice, vice versa. So it's all, it's all adding to that. How is Maeve so wise, Maeve Pinchy? She's just so brilliant. She's so wise. Yeah. She told a great story once about um, she was sent to China. Yeah. China to do something, you know. She did colour piece as a girl, and she had no had no word to Chinese, had no word to Chinese. And so she's in Beijing, and she's she's starving. So she sees this laneway, you know, a lovely Chinese laneway, and they go down all all different restaurants, mm. but not a word of English anywhere, anywhere, you know, it's all in China. So she goes into the the one that looks busiest. <laughs> it was mostly men, as it happened. So she goes in, and your man goes, "Hello, you wish to, you know." He didn't. He all gestures, no, knowingly. Yeah. And she said, "Me from," and he, I know, no, no. So she sits down, and then she hands her the menu. It's in Chinese. <laughs> There's no sixty-nine with black bean sauce. Now. <laughs> this is this is Chinese Chinese, right? And uh, she hasn't a clue. She hasn't a clue. What, but she looks over at the other table, and she sees that fella's looking. Looks like um spare ribs and the other fellas eating dumplings right so she calls your man over and he's really deferential because he was the only she was the only woman in the place and she points over to to the other table yeah and she the waiter stands over he stands behind for his fella yee no no yeah 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 and he takes your man's food and gives it to Maeve (laughs) (laughs) and then he goes to the other table this no no this one yeah yeah and she takes the other fellas food That's deferential. Oh my god, I love it. Okay, Joe, the actress you always laugh at. I, uh, Deirdre okay. Oh, uh, Pat's the freedom was the funniest thing I've ever got me through the first lockdown. <laughs> I'd never seen it. I've never seen it. Oh, it's brilliant. Funniest thing ever produced on RT television. Fun deliberately. The funniest thing ever deliberately produced on RT television. <laughs> <laughs> Michael McElhatton. Oh, dear, the acting is just incredible. I love the way you're just throwing shades you left, just, right and centre. Just incredible. <laughs> and Deirdre O'Kane is, I have to watch it. I wrote to her. I don't know the woman. It's better from met her once. You're very good like that, Joe. You reach out to people and you, you kind of yeah, congratulate them. Yeah, I wrote to her during the lockdown. I said, you really helped me get through that lockdown. But I, you see, like you've sent me Christmas cards within RT and I'm, I love to, I love when they land yeah, you, on my desk. Yeah, but you keep denying that there was any money in them, and there was. <laughs> okay, the comedian that makes you laugh out loud, John. Ah, Sil Fox. Sil. Okay. Again, back to Sil Fox. Yeah. And, uh, he's a great old style Dublin comedian, uh, Oliver Bond. You know, the, you know the one he's leaning over the back in Oliver Bond. He, he does the two Maisies and Bridie and all. Bridie, yeah. Where are you going? Are you going to shops? Yeah. 
Will you get a bottle of vodka? <laughs> yeah. Will you get 60 rap, man? Right, yeah, yeah. And will you get, if you, if you can, will you get me three bottles of uh, tonic water for the vodka? Yeah. And Bridie, yeah, don't get caught. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the two, Maisie and Bridie and, and yeah. their, their friend Sissy, is, it's, it's her 80th birthday is coming up and... Um, they said, well, my son wants me to cry. He has a house in Spain. He's got all his back. I go, why now, sissy? You'd be God. That's not, I'm not mad about this. Anyway, she goes out. Mm. And Maisie and Bridie are home. I wonder how she's getting out. Let me give her a ring. They give her a ring. And mm-hmm. I said, yeah, I'm going to find the son. He's got his swimming pool and the cocktails. Fantastic. Next day, they get a phone call from the son. Sissy's after dying suddenly in Spain. Jesus. Right. Sissy's after died suddenly in Spain. Now she's a good age. <laughs> so they bring her back home to Dublin. She's laying out in Massey's at Bally Farm. You know, the open cup. You know where you go in, yeah. yeah. And uh, Maisie and Bridie go in. You know, the link in the arms. I go, very upset. <laughs> and they go up and there's the open car. I Doesn't she look fantastic? I tell you, those two weeks in Spain did it a world of good. True <laughs> 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 story. Like, by the way, I also invented I, I, my only claim to fame on the comedy front. I invented a trope of comedy. Go on. It began with this one. The fella goes into the library. I love library. The fella goes into the library and he says, Can I have a smoke carton chips, please? And my parents says, Excuse me, this is a library. I'm sorry, can I have a smoke carton chips, please? <laughs> So I started these jokes, librarian. Yeah. They're called librarian. Librarian uh, jokes. No, they're called librarian, librarian. Right? <laughs> so you go in the library. You can play this at home. Yeah. You go in the library and say, uh, librarian, librarian, have you any books on etiquette? I feck off. <laughs> oh, my God. Librarian, librarian, have you any books on boomerangs? We have, but they never come back. <laughs> Libra- no, I'm not finished. I have a whole show. Sorry, she's gone. Librarian, librarian, you can play this at home. <laughs> librarian, librarian, have you any books on crosswords? Yeah, there's, f- there's four down that aisle and three across the other aisle. <laughs> librarian, librarian, have you any books on uh, unwanted pregnancies? Yeah, but there's a nine-month waiting list. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> so it's, you can play this at home. I was going to ask you your best or worst joke. Is that it? Are they, oh, I love those them? jokes. And my, see, my, my best jokes are stories like yeah. uh, that I hear in Dublin. Like Charlie Redmond, the fireman, the great Dublin footballer. I love fireman, you know that. And fireman. Yeah, I love fireman. Yeah, I just think they're brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. <laughs> Absolutely brilliant. The backbone of any, any uh, community. And um, Charlie Redmond, the, he was in the Tala Fire Station and there was a gang of kids playing on the green and there was a horse that they were chasing and the horse fell down the hole. Right now, this is not about did he shoot the horse in the hole? No, he shot him in the head. It's not that joke, right? So the fire, the fire brigade were sent for, and they yeah. they they land up in the green. All the women are out of the house in the gardens, looking out at the commotion, and the kids are around. And Charlie realised we have to put the horse down, so he rings the vet. The vet arrives, and he takes out this massive syringe. Okay, you know the way you, you plunge a syringe to get the airlock out of it? Yeah. And he plunged it onto the grass and he goes down and he tells Charlie, take all the kids away. And he puts the horse to sleep, humanely. Okay? Yeah. So then a bit of a And uh, all the oh, I thought they put the horse down. So anyway, uh, the vet says to Charlie, you know where I sprayed that little bit of that uh, drug on the ground? Will you, will you get a shovel full of clay and cover it? If kids touch that, it's mm. dangerous. So Charlie gets pulls up the side locker, the fire engine, takes out the big shovel, walks over to all the women are in the gardens, right? Mm. And he walks into one of the gardens and goes up to the flower bed. <laughs> and the woman says, Hey, Mr. Fireman, you can feck off. You think you're burying that horse in my garden? <laughs> True story. Oh, I love it. Joe Duffy, I'm so delighted that you took the time right. to come in and chat to me today. Will you talk to me about the meaning of life? Are you happy it's back? What yeah, can we look absolutely. forward to? Yeah, I love it. Yeah, I love it. We, we did it all over the summer, travelling around the country when we were allowed and the guests could pick their, their location for the interview. Yeah. Now, they are they are the, totally different to anything that's on RT at the minute. You know the way Tommy's brilliant that the, he, he makes, uh, you know, I don't know who's coming on, but yeah. I do. Yeah. And I read everything I can about them. Okay. If they've written a book, I can tell you anything about any of the guests I've... A bit, and I listen to them on different interviews and the researchers are sending me tomes of stuff to read. So when you're in the middle of the interview, when you when you hear something, like there was an incredible episode with Eamon Holmes, you know, the broadcaster. Yeah. And um, I, I hope this makes it into the cut because he was, he was a very moving interview. I was really taken aback. But anyway, Eamon Holmes says, you know, and I said, how do you react to, you know, our business criticism? He said, I'm fine. 
I said, you weren't fine when Anne Robinson, you know, the weakest link. Yeah. She had a column and she wrote in the column. Um, Eamon Holmes has sacrificed fatherhood for fame. Oh. You know, moving to the UK. Right. And he said, that was one of the most hurtful things I've ever read about myself. And I said, well, how did you react? He said, I was in an airport lounge seven years later, a VIP airport. The only other person in the room was Anne Robinson. Okay. Right. And he goes up to her. He tells his son that, and, and the full language, I hope, was left in because that's the fourth. He stood over her and he said, if you were a effing man, I would knock your effing head off. Stop. Right, yeah. I punch you in the face. That was his opening line. Right. Just a hort, just a hort, because he said, "I was a good father. I am a good father." Yeah. He's become a grandfather in the last last few weeks. I am a good father. I came home. I shuttled, like I did. I shuttled every week from London to, when I wasn't there in the juice, and I lost the first job I had, and all that. Yeah. Carry on. So. So that's 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 one of the more interesting. But everyone was very giving. We spent a long, long time with them. Like the the, the shoots could last a full day, basically. Each one of them was. You talk to them. You'd meet them. Uh, it's a big setup. It's a big setup in terms of crew and cameras and lighting because that's part of the look of it. Yeah. And and part of it is trying to keep me out as much as possible. And. Um, I just, I, I was, one, I'm really impressed with the crew, Sarah Ryder is the boss, and we really, really, they were exhaustive and exhausting, but I I think, I think they'll be good. They'll be different, they're the old style yeah. interview. I can't wait. Joe, thank you so much for sharing the last of your life. Thanks, dear, thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Last of Your Life podcast with Joe Duffy. I hope you enjoyed it. Don't forget to like, subscribe, rate, review and all those other things. Give TK Maxx a follow on Instagram. They're at TKMaxIE. And while you're there, make sure you're following me too as I'll have some TK Maxx gift cards to give away next week. And if you're not in, you can't win. This podcast is recorded with Collaborative Studios and guest booker this season is Olive Esler. This season of the podcast is brought to you by TK Maxx. Get that winning feeling in store when you find snuggly PJs and spot that they're also organic cotton. Find your own win in store today.